I'm Chris Motz, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, folks. We are in the month of March in the season of Lent. Delighted to have back with us again today, a fairly regular guest, I don't know, know. uh, a past guest. Previous guest. Previous guest, Dr. Chris Bergwald. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, today about a book that we have been reading together, After Virtue, by the um, really uh, preeminent uh, philosophers of 20th 20th century in many ways, still living, Alastair McIntyre, After Virtue. Excited to talk about this book. Dr. Bergwald, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here, Chris. How's Lent going? Really good. Is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, it is going really good. Is we, it? Could, we could say that. We should yeah. say that. Yes. It should be going well. well I mean, we don't uh, say Merry Lent, but- Right, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the British don't, don't say Merry Lent either, so we could say Happy Lent. Happy Lent. Because they say Happy Christmas. I mean, Christmas. we say Merry Christmas. That's my illusion. Right, I know, so, I know. Yeah, I know, okay. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I think it's going well. My, my, my image, of course, for Lent that I like to think of oftentimes part of my prayer is being, um, invited by the Lord out into the desert with himself, Mm. uh, just as he was in the desert for 40 days and did penance and was, and was tempted. Um, he invites me, I think us, but me out into the desert to be with him, to do some penance, maybe to undergo some temptation as the case may be that has happened a little bit this Lent. But, but the point there for me is, um, and I've, I, I had to insert an important word here. I did this last year. I think Lord, that, that this time you might, um, gently purify me. Mm. And I had to add the word gentle last mm. year because I've just seen some good friends who've asked for the Lord to purify them. And you chicken. They did. <laughs> I, yes. Yes, I am. Maybe one day I can drop that adjective, but right now, please Lord gently purify me. It's a beautiful prayer. Yeah. It's a beautiful prayer. So wonderful. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, as we are recording, we are March 23rd right now. When this airs, um, we will have been a couple days on past March 25th, the solemnity of the Annunciation of the Lord. Mm-hmm. We get to eat meat during Lent on a Friday in Lent. That's kind of, okay, big deal. Mm-hmm. Annunciation, big feast. It's actually a day on which I was engaged in 2011. Beautiful. So we remember it. But it, in the news, um, the Holy Father invited the bishops of the world to join him in making a consecration of humanity uh, with particular regard to uh, particularly invoking uh, Our Lady, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So Our Lady's intercession, a consecration to her, Russia and Ukraine. Um, what's yeah, yeah. a... Yeah, please. so we're, uh, the, the Holy Father, together with all those bishops who want to participate, yeah. uh, are consecrating Russia and the Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of What's a consecration? Uh, that's, <laughs> and I knew you were gonna. You're about to ask that before I so rudely interrupted. Basically, what we're doing when, in the context of a consecration like this, is asking, as you were phrasing it yourself, um, Mary's intercession in a particular way on these two nations. Obviously, the the military conflict going on there right now, as, as we're still speaking. Um, so, to consecrate someone or something to the Immaculate Heart of Mary means to invoke her um, maternal, motherly intercession. So we look to um, John's gospel, 
where Jesus dying on the cross said to the beloved disciple, behold, uh, with regard to Mary, and Mary, woman, behold your son. Um, and then to the beloved disciple said, behold your mother. Mm. So w- drawing from that and from early Christian experience and practice and prayer, um, Mary is held in a preeminent place as the model disciple, the model missionary disciple, yeah, uh, but also uh, as the mother of all Christians. So when we consecrate somebody to her, to her immaculate, her her without stained heart, unstained heart, um, that that's a, a that's a particular way, a churchy way, if you yeah. will, of saying we are we are asking her in a particularly powerful way to pray to her son and to the father and to the Holy Spirit for, in this case, the nations of Russia and the Ukraine. Beautiful. And I know it was announced that the Holy Father is sending Cardinal Krajewski, the apostolic almoner, who has some responsibility for charitable works of the Holy Father, Mm -hmm. sending him as envoy to Fatima to make the consecration. Can you just briefly explain the link to Fatima? Yeah. So this goes back to 1913 when uh, Mary appeared, uh, 1917. 17. I'm like, wait, no, that's not, that's not right. I'm like, but 1917, thank you. 1917, when Mary appeared, actually 16 to 17, I think, uh, all 17. I think all 17. May, all 17. May through October, something like that? Yes, May of 17. Yes, yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, so um, when Mary appeared to three young Portuguese children yes. um, in Fatima, and um, she asked then that Russia which at that point was just that fall began yes, the Bolshevik, the Bolshevik revolution, right. um, the October revolution, uh, to cut that, that they would ask the Pope to consecrate the, uh, the nation of Russia to the immaculate, to my immaculate heart. Mm. So to, for these children to somehow make it known that, um, Mary wants Russia to be consecrated to Okay, and I know this episode is not about this. Where this is our this is our hook, right now. This is our lead in. Um, just because it's interesting and timely. Yeah. I gotta ask, what's the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Is there is this a devotion that goes way back, or is this? Uh, how do we understand uh, the Immaculate, well, so, so, immaculate yeah, Heart so of Mary? Unstained. So because Mary, um, we believe she was not only conceived without sin, but that she actually avoided every sin ah. her entire life. Immaculate. So flawless. So, so there's mm. devotion to Jesus's sacred heart, his holy heart, yeah. and there's devotion to Mary's immaculate heart, her flawless heart. The church is very, so in case folks who aren't Catholic are listening, the church is very clear. Mary is not God. She is not equal to her son, but she is um, without the stain of any sin whatsoever. Um, and so we Catholics have been um, seeking her intercession for millennia uh, and under this, the, the title, if you will, uh, of the devotion to her sacred heart, because the heart's sort of the center of the person. Yes. Um, heart is a very biblical image as the, the center of the person. Yeah. Um, so we, we mm. seek devotion to Mary under the, the image of her immaculate heart. We've done that for centuries. Beautiful stuff. So folks, if, if you want to join in this consecration too, you can. I know the Diocese of Sioux Falls has the consecration text up on its website. You can find it all over the internet. So Chris, yeah. so we can, so even though the 25th is passed by the time people are listening. Yeah, to this, go make the consecration. Absolutely. You can still join. You can absolutely. still join. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. oh no, it was yesterday or the no. day before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. Yep. Go yep. pray it. Amen. So good. Um, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about After Virtue. We've been reading this book for a while. Uh, so, af- 
There is no, there is no uh, segue here. Just I was, none, I was, none. Re- okay. you were waiting for it. I was no, waiting. how are we going from? This is like the <laughs> evening news where we. Okay, now page and, two. That's right. So <laughs> okay, it's just you know it's in the news and like people want to know. Absolutely, I want to know. Absolutely. So here we are. Okay, right. now we're going to talk about the book. Yep. Um, after virtue. Uh, in 30 seconds or less, what is After Virtue? How do we understand Alistair McIntyre mm. and this book? Yeah, so Alistair McIntyre, who wrote this book, uh, he wasn't yet Catholic. Mm. Uh, I don't I think he was still technically an atheist at this point. But as you said, preeminent philosopher, especially moral philosophy, Yeah, um, he might uh, quibble with the title. But uh, the idea that he developed... Um, in this book, in the very early 80s, first edition, 1981, I believe, uh, is is the idea that part of the problem of moral discourse and debate in modern uh, Western society is that we abandoned the ancient idea of virtue, uh, which many of us connect maybe with Christianity, um, and it is there, it's in scripture, but it also was really spelled out by the ancient Greeks, um, uh, Aristotle in a particular way, um, developed the 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 idea of the virtue as striving towards excellent as excellence as human beings. This book is about recover what happens when you try to live after virtue and how to, that we need to recover virtue. So, and I want to mention just like earlier in in our um, in this we did I did with Dr. Schaff we did um, Augustine City of God. It's a, it's like a hard it's a hard work to read. Oh, yeah. And I would say this isn't exactly City of God. Um, but it's it's kind of hard to read, so I just want to preface that for, for folks. You're going to go to Amazon right now and like throw it in your cart. We are reading it with a companion, yes. by Christopher Lutz. Yes. So I would encourage people that are interested in this. This is like a big text of the 20th century. Yep. That if you want to stimulate and grow intellectually, it's a great book to read. Get Christopher Lutz's book, uh, which is called "Reading Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue," and Lutz is L-U-T-Z. So that's. Uh, that's that. So we're going to talk a little bit about chapter 12. Chapter chapter 12 was just so striking for me. I had this realization as I was reading it, like there's stuff in here that I, I felt cheated. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. Cheated. Because you did. That was your response when we Why were discussing this chapter. Why has nobody chap- ever like unpacked this stuff with me before? So good. Um, so, I, okay, I'm just going to read a couple of quotations and ask for a comment and we can discuss. This is I'm going to maybe pull stuff from the actual text too, but Lutz does a really nice job. So here's um, here, here's something that Mutz, uh, Mutz, Lutz just comments about, um, according to Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, if I pronounce Nicom- that right. Nicomachean. Nicomachean, thank you. My Greek is a little rusty, just like, <laughs> just like my Latin. Human agents act to pursue goods that they desire. So... Moral education is an education in recognizing, knowing, desiring, and choosing actions that make us better as human agents. I, um, you know, we think of morality, I guess that makes sense, but I, I love how it's, it's linked to education. Like there's a formation in. Yes. Can you, what do you? Yes. Can you say a little more? <laughs> yes. Just yes, yes, yes. So. The problem, and and McIntyre, I think, masterfully explains this. Others, I think, I'm sure before McIntyre were observing this, since then certainly have explained it. The problem with so much understanding and and conversational morality today is it's all about 
um, an external imposition. Basically, you have to do what I say, whether I am the state in terms of the law or whether I am a religious authority. This is what you need to do. Here are the rules. Follow them. Yeah. Period. I don't care if you don't like them. I don't care if they don't make sense. You got to do this. I don't care if they make you miserable. This is what you got to do. It's supposed people have that view of the church. Absolutely. Finger wagger. Finger wagger. Yeah. Thou shalt not. Yeah. And, and I mean, there, there is some <clears throat> truth. I mean, there are, you can, you can list the, they're called the 10 commandments, sure. right? I mean, you can lay out these, um, these moral absolutes, these moral imperatives, but they're grounded in this reality, which, which is summarized or which is described with the idea of virtue. Um, that in fact, what this is about yeah, education or formation of the human person at the human heart. Yes. There's my connection, ah, yeah. the formation of well the heart, well done. uh, the formation of the human, of, of my desires of, of my, the technical term appetites, my yeah. wants to form them in such a way that I am actually, um, operating, working, if you will, as a human being, functioning, if you will, yeah. in a way that is in te- that will maximize my flourishing, yeah. my happiness, my betterment. So good. Um, I and I guess I kind of I, I mean I know that, but to just really see it linked that um, moral agency is is intricately linked, like education, we're formed in this. Well, so and, okay. and the, the re- I think the thing that I want to uh, so. And and as you the 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 value of the word formation as opposed to education. I yeah. think for most of us, and maybe our listeners hearing education, yeah. they're going to think classroom, school, school. Well, yeah. So a teacher up front, me maybe yes. taking notes, not paying attention. But they have formation. Like for me, I go to like clay <clears throat> and the potter, right? Where it's about being molded into a certain, like, it's a very practical like yeah. formation. I form something. So when I'm forming myself, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot, I'm being molded. I'm allowing myself to be molded. I'm molding myself in a particular way where I'm going to be able to hold the water instead of breaking. Okay. So this is, uh, McIntyre. This is lots unpacking McIntyre. Who's unpacking Aristotle. Um, McIntyre argues, this is again from Lutz. McIntyre argues that Aristotelian ethics requires those who adhere to it to develop two kinds of evaluated, evaluative practice. First, the community must come to recognize and celebrate the qualities of character that help them to meet their goals and to shun attitudes that are counterproductive. Second, the community must determine which courses of action help them to reach their goals and to celebrate these while condemning uh, kind of a hard word, condemning activities that hinder the pursuit of the common good, including activities, that, um, oh, excuse me, that hinder the common good of, of developing a moral culture that supports this pursuit of the common good. These two components of a moral culture, virtues and laws, are interconnected. Lawmakers need the virtues to make just laws. The people need just laws to support the development of the virtues. Right. Help us understand this a little bit. So and this has been observed, I think, uh, the founders of our country talked a lot about how, uh, and they, they sort of would interchange sometimes, some of them speak about the role of virtue, some others, frankly, talk about religion here, but the importance of having a virtuous citizenry yeah. in order for a society to remain just. Yes. So it's uh, the law is a beautiful, on the one hand, the law is a beautiful teacher. So what our laws tell us, show us how we ought to live Yeah. um, because they tell us what we should or shouldn't do. But then 
I am called to become virtuous. And, and, and when the two come together, I, it, it, the more virtuous I become, the more I am, more easy it is for me, the easier it is for me to live according to the laws, presuming the laws themselves are, themselves are just. So they go in hand. The law is a teacher and it also can be sort of the stick, but the virtues allow me to conform to the law, uh, hand in glove. So anticipating an objection, because there are some kind of more libertarian minded folks yep. out there, including listening yep. to this show. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you're a listener and i um, grateful for your friendship. But the objection is like, well, that's not the purpose of the law. The, you know, the law should only protect people from Harm, and I think oftentimes that's meant in like physical harm. Right, right. How do you how do you address that objection? That's one philosophy of the law. Okay, uh, one which I would disagree with. S- S- one which I think, well, which I know Aristotle would disagree with. The pagan philosopher, pre-Christian philosopher. It's uh, certainly one that uh, people like you mentioned Augustine, but Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval um, inheritor and developer of the thought of Aristotle would disagree with. So the law, the, that, that's, that's, that's a conception of the law, which also brings the idea that there's no common good yeah. uh, or that, that it's impossible for us to arrive at an under, a common understanding of the good period. Yes. Uh, and, and we, um, as not just Christians, but inheritors of Greco Roman political philosophy would vehemently disagree with such a conception, both of the good Yeah and of the common good, and therefore of the law's relationship to both. So that's a, and that's, that. I mean, we could do a whole other like series on this uh, philosophical argument, if you will, right, philosophy right. of the law, but great. Okay, here's another one that just really caught me. For Aristotle, prudence is a central virtue, and it's an intellectual virtue. And we talked about this the yep. other day. Yep. Help us understand uh, what he's saying here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so, and, and, and when you and I discussed it, it it's, uh, they're, <laughs> I haven't looked at the Nicomachean ethics, um, I'm, but I'm sure Lutz and McIntyre, right? So Aristotle specifies intellectual. Uh, the Christian tradition does say it's both intellectual and volitional. It's related yep. to the intellect and the will. The the tepic, the the um, traditional definition of prudence is it's right reason in action. Yeah. So prudence allows me to evaluate a situation. That's why it's an intellectual virtue. I see. Yes. And understand. Yes. So I evaluate the, uh, the the situation, and then I act in the 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 most the the way um, most or best suited to the best outcome. Yeah. It, and when he's saying it's a central virtue, I think what he's oh. saying is it's a central virtue, uh, actually, to the polis, to like a community life. Right. Is well, it, it's it's the, it's a central virtue to the individual life and certainly to the common life as well. Um, it's the charioteer of the virtues, actually. Uh, there's, there's a Latin phrase that I forget right now, but prudence is classically defined as the charioteer of the- It's all holding the, the reins. It's, pulling it's, the it's the holding reins. the steering wheel. Justice is doing this, temperance is doing that, and fortitude is doing its thing. Prudence is guiding all of them. Okay, and you, so you just mentioned, we've talked about, okay, you mentioned justice. We're talking about prudence is steering. I want to talk a little bit about uh, friendship now. Yeah. Um, for Aristotle, friendship is a virtue. I'm reading from Lutz. It is this virtue that holds communities together, whether it is citizens in a polis or family members in a household. This civic friendship, uh, quote from McIntyre, is that which embodies a shared recognition of and pursuit of a, of a good End quote. Civic friendship is not a negotiation among individuals, 
but it is a relationship that draws people into a common pursuit. I think that so often we think of friendship as um, something that is like makes us happy or delightful. Yep. I enjoy my friends. Yep. But here it's being described as a virtue. Yep. Can you say more about that? So, uh, if I may turn Please. the tables briefly, yeah. how would you just in in an everyday sense don't don't try to get a right answer here? What's a virtue? Like, how would you say what, what's what's a virtue? It's a habit of right action. Okay, so that's a that's a, that's a very pre- excellent precise answer. A habit of right action. It can be an action of the intellect, if you yeah. will, or it can be an action of the will. To be redundant, sure. Um, so it's an action. Uh, I, I'm, I'm acting again, either with my mind or with my will, I'm doing something. I, so in the context of friendship, so yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, 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 we're friends because we have chemistry, but if we'd have chemistry, then we couldn't be friends. I feel like that's sort of the modern idea of friendship. Like either there's, there's, um, a connection that you make an emotional or some sort of connection you make, or there's not, but no, no, no. The, the Aristotelian conception of friendship, friendship as a virtue means that, um, yeah, maybe there has to be some affinity, but the, I can cultivate that affinity with you. I can grow in relationship with you. Um, a virtue is a habit of right action. I can, I can, I choose to do this thing. Okay, so picking up with McIntyre, where Lutz leaves off. Um, so it's it's the sharing which is essential and primary to the constitution of any form of community, whether that of a household or, or that of a city. Let's let's just said that. Here's here's what McIntyre says that just really struck me. Lawgivers, says Aristotle, seem to make friendship a more important aim than justice. Mm. And the reason is clear. Justice is the virtue of rewarding of rewarding dessert and of repairing failures in rewarding dessert with an already constituted community. Friendship is required for that initial constitution. Oh, boom. Just like, why didn't everybody, anybody ever tell me this? So, so um, friendship is the foundation on which justice builds or law builds. Right. Um, So the, the friendship is there. And then justice is about ensuring that those relationships, which friendship has developed and continues to develop, hopefully, um, justice ensures that those relationships remain true. Hold on, hold on. So if we feel like the world is a bit topsy-turvy, like there's a lot of injustice occurring, maybe... Maybe we need to attend to our relationships with one another. Ah, so beautiful. Okay, McIntyre goes on. How can we reconcile this view of Aristotle's with his assertion that one cannot have many friends of this kind? Aristotle says, yep. you know, okay. Estimates of the population of Athens in the fifth and fourth centuries vary widely, but the number is somewhere in the tens of thousands. How can a population of such size be informed by a shared vision of the good? Mm-hmm. In such a huge community, how do you build the foundation is what he's asking, I think. How can friendship be the bond between them? The answer surely is buying is by being composed of a network of small groups of friends in Aristotle's sense of that word. We are to think then of friendship as being the sharing of all in the common project of creating and sustaining the life of the city, sharing incorporated in the immediacy of an individual's particular friendships. I feel like just mic drop. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like nerding out over Aristotle. And why? 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 What? what? Uh, so articulate your excitement about that passage. Right well, there. this is like, um, it, it just, this is, um, I'm blanking on the guy, the French guy who came here in the 1830s, uh, democracy oh, in America. Uh, Tocqueville, de Tocqueville. Yeah. He just saw what made America so beautiful is like these 
uh, little mediating institutions. And it's actually kind of something special about Which, us. Which uh, Burke, did Burke describe them as uh, uh, Small platoons. Small platoons. Small platoons. Small platoons. Yeah, that's right. Edmund Burke. Um, you know, and so when we think of more recent sociological data, Robert Putnam comes to mind, bowling alone. Yep. We, um, it's clearly like a poverty that we're now experiencing. But Chris, I have hundreds of Facebook friends. <laughs> you gotta, folks, you gotta pull up the video if you're listening to this. That was, that was a great look. <laughs> Can we like freeze frame on my face right there, Bill? Okay. Um, so we've got four minutes left. One more point, and then we're going to talk about like concretely what can we do. Here's maybe the last point from um, uh, McIntyre. Friendship, of course, on Aristotle's view, involves affection. Oh, melt my heart, Aristotle. <laughs> can you, what, do, what does that mean for you? Because I, I think I've made this comment on this program before, just about your own humor. Yeah. As being sort of um, uh, a lubrication for right. affection, right, if right, you will. Right, right, right. Um, so this goes back to the thing that I said before. There has to be some affinity between people for there to be uh, affection. But so our emotions are, so Aristotle was not a stoic. Yeah. Aristotle was not a stoic. Uh, Christianity. Uh, so uh, or emotions are good things that are called to be properly integrated. Yeah. So I should have affection yes. for other things, but especially for other persons. Yes. Uh, positive affection, obviously, sure. unless, unless evil is done. And then there can be a negative affection that arises. Yeah you slap me, I'm going to have a negative affection. Right. Um, but so, so friendship <clears throat> is not some sort of stoic uh, and maybe, and I, this might be taking things a little bit far afield, but an application of this to me is um, we're not just going to sit around and, and, and just ruminate intellectually. Like there should be a sharing of, for me, a sharing of life yeah. together. Um, it speaks more to, speaks to what affection implies and entails. Okay. So let's say I'm, I'm a bit cranky about politics in the last couple of years. Things are very unjust and everybody's corrupt. And um, so we've ascertained that Aristotle would say to build small networks of friends yes. oriented around a particular good. Yes. In a minute and a half, two minutes, concretely, what can people do? Yeah. So I think, so look at, um, it, it might be your neighborhood. I mean, your street, yeah. that'd, that'd be, that'd be a great way. It might be a connection with people in your parish because that's a geographic, yeah. ideally, uh, it could be a geographic or some like people in a hobby, like a different, different civic organizations, but to be intentional about fostering those relationships, the bowling league, mm. um, that Putnam talked about Sports. fostering, yeah. but then oriented towards, you know, how can we make our neighborhood, yeah. our bowling alley, yeah. our, our, our church, whatever, yes. a better place to live, to be, to recreate. How can we make this a better place? So being intentional about your relationships, but then having them focus towards, um, some, I hate to use the word, hope, uh, improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and if you, anybody here has any ideas or, or like desires and you want to like talk through this stuff a little more, don't hesitate to reach out. You can go to sdcatholicconference.org. This topic, um, I was so excited about this chapter because as you know, this this kind of just like really resonates very yep. deeply with me. Yep. As like, I just recognize that our country, I mean, we need this. We really need this. So uh, Dr. Bergwald, thank you so much for joining us. Any parting thoughts? Uh, another book, Leela Bresco, Living the Benedict Option. Oh yeah, we read we, that one too. We did read that too. And I think that would have some great specific ideas on how your little platoon yes. um, can can do some concrete things together. So Leah Labresco, L-I-B-R-E-S-C-O, yep. Living the Benedict Option. Great book with some kind of concrete ideas around hospitality and other things you can concretely do with other people. Yep. 
Dr. Bergwald, thanks for joining us. You bet, Chris. Thank you. And thank you as always, dear listeners, for tuning in. This is episode 99. I don't know if you guys knew that. Next week, episode 100, what's it going to be? I mean, I've got a couple options teed up, but if you guys have really strong desires, what do you want to hear on episode 100? We're going to celebrate. You can send your uh, ideas, as always, to sdcatholicconference.org and click contact us. Love to receive your feedback. Until next week, live well. Live well.